Welcome back. This is podcast number eight in the book Fat Newborns, Infants, and Kids. As many of you recall, this is a podcast version of the audiobook, which I hope you will buy and available at kellygreg.com or where you normally get your audiobooks. This is also available in an ebook or paperback book version. Now we are going to talk about the newborn, that is the postpartum period. By now we know the uterine environment induces epigenetic changes that may follow the baby throughout life. I am interested in diet and health, and more specifically type 2 diabetes, so I am going to concentrate on these changes. A famine affects the changes differently depending on the age of the fetus when exposed. It is likely that elevated glucose levels in the fetus may affect it more when exposed late term than early as far as type 2 diabetes is concerned. Believe it or not, controlling the glucose in the fetal environment is not that difficult. Just follow the instructions in the previous podcast. Now we must deal with the other principal element in the diet, which appears to be affecting obesity. That is the omega fatty acid balance. As I have told you, the historical ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acids in their diet is about 4 to 1. It is now about 20 to 1. It is possible to measure this ratio in the blood, but not often done. We noted that the obese pregnant woman has a higher ratio in their diet and a higher ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 in their breast milk. There now has been several studies correlating obesity in adults with the intake of omega-6. The abnormal ratio is associated with pro-inflammatory states and obesity. The problem is not that we do not have enough omega-3. The problem is too much omega-6. I have gone over the issues in previous chapters. For the pregnant woman, I doubt that getting them on a diet with a better ratio will affect their obesity in the short term. Still, it should be attempted. I do believe it may decrease the ratio in the breast milk. Although epigenetic changes may have occurred in these women secondary to prolonged exposure to this higher ratio, supplementation with omega-3 acids will reduce the ratio in the serum and expose the infant in the womb to a better ratio. This likely will also reduce the ratio in breast milk. Although I do not know for sure, it may be the breast milk abnormal ratio is causing epigenetic changes in the newborn that makes subsequent obesity more likely. We are going to put these pregnant women on a maintenance diet. All the different types of maintenance diets try to reduce the omega-6 intake. If you are pregnant, we would emphasize this more. We do this mainly by decreasing soy intake. The women will be doing this as part of their diet, but that is not enough. I now think we must supplement the pregnancy and breastfeeding period with omega-3 fatty acids. This is usually going to be in the form of DHA or fish oil supplements. I usually base my advice on diet and health by looking at history. For 97% of written Western history, 
we did not take any supplements to our diet. We may have changed the way we ate a little as we noted some foods promoted good health, but nobody had any vitamin bottles. I would like to say a good diet is all you need, but things have changed. We routinely give pregnant people vitamins and minerals for various reasons. It may have been a thousand years ago the food was higher in these elements, and now they are not, or it may be the modern Western diet has changed our metabolism and microbiome, such that now we need supplements, and now omega-3 in pregnancy is one of those supplements. We know that the fetus and early years of life generate many epigenetic changes based on the cellular environment, hence it is important to err on the side of giving supplements that may be lacking in the prenatal diet or breast milk. I am going to have to advise giving the normal prenatal vitamins and adding omega-3 fatty acids to this regimen. I am going to advise continuing at least the omega-3 supplements during breastfeeding. Remember, the problem is not that there are not enough fatty acids. It is the ratio of these acids. We are also trying to get them to reduce the omega-6 acids. We can get pregnant women to take vitamins and supplements. They are usually motivated and are followed closely. Most want to please their medical provider, and if you are doing it correctly, a close bond will develop. After the baby is born, it is a little harder to get these things done. They will follow the maintenance diet during pregnancy and should follow it while breastfeeding, but they lose touch with their OB provider, and the pediatrician is their main medical contact. Pediatricians are not interested in getting the mother to follow the maintenance diet. We are going to give supplements during the pregnancy. We are going to try to get the patient to take them while breastfeeding, but I cannot ask the OB doctor to be responsible for the mother's diet after that. They may have learned enough during the pregnancy that they will follow up on their own. There is one more dietary element I will mention as it relates to breastfeeding. That is fructose. As you recall, fructose is the only monosaccharide found in abundance in nature. We know that fruits contain fructose. Food consumption has increased over the last couple hundred years, as storage and transportation has enabled us now to eat fruit three times a day, every day of the year if we want. Of course, for most of history, this was not the case. You may have eaten a lot for a couple months, but then not so much. Our problem is usually not too much fruit. Fructose in fruit is tied up in fiber, and hence the absorption is delayed somewhat. Of course, if you are drinking fruit juice, you are back to drinking sugar water, and you get rapid absorption again. Our fructose exposure is mainly related to sucrose, which is half fructose, and high fructose corn syrup, which is pre-digested sucrose. Both intakes have risen quite a lot in the last 75 years. Fructose has been associated with numerous problems, including obesity. It is not only the carbohydrate count, but also the effects of fructose on metabolism and epigenetic changes. Obese pregnant mothers usually have a high fructose load. This means the baby also has a high fructose load. Insulin resistance is induced by rapid absorption of glucose, which spikes insulin. Sucrose is easily hydrated, 
and split into glucose and fructose, and then absorbed rapidly and sent to the liver, which releases glucose into the body. Fructose is metabolized by the liver, and only a little gets into the blood. When you eat fruit, the fructose is not absorbed as rapidly, and the liver is able to metabolize it without undue difficulty. When you eat sucrose, especially when it is not associated with other food, the glucose and fructose is absorbed more rapidly, and some fructose may leak into the blood. Not much, and the liver may get another chance at it, but more than the diet over most of history. When you eat high-fructose corn syrup, the fructose is not required to be split from sucrose, and you get an even more rapid absorption. The liver is unable to metabolize this surge of fructose, and a little more gets into the blood. Let me emphasize that the amount is small, but even the small amount appears to produce significant changes. Part of the pregnancy maintenance diet is to reduce sucrose intake, especially on an empty stomach, avoid large amount of fruit juice, you can eat fruit all you want, but more importantly, reduce high fructose corn syrup consumption to zero. These actions will help us keep the glucose level under control, but more importantly, will keep free fructose out of the blood and out of the fetus. It ends up as the same thing happens in breast milk. We know the glucose levels may vary in breast milk related to the glucose levels in the mother, but fructose can also be found in breast milk. It does appear that although the levels are only about 3% of the glucose levels, this small amount can affect the baby and higher fructose levels have been associated with fat mass accretion in the baby. The pregnancy diet is going to help the breast milk if you stay on this pregnancy maintenance diet till the baby is weaned. Now we are at the point that the baby is weaned and things get a little blurry. Up to now, we have tried to control the diet and cellular environment of the baby by simply controlling what the mother eats. At some point, the baby starts eating at the table like everyone else. If the mother is obese, I think it is likely that her diet is responsible. She has some degree of insulin resistance. She has an elevated omega-6, omega-3 ratio. If she goes back to the diet she, the family was eating before, it is likely the infant has an increased risk of obesity and eventual type 2 diabetes. We have done something. We have better controlled the cellular environment of the fetus and the baby. Epigenetic changes have occurred which may be long-lasting and offer some protection from obesity. The baby is already way ahead of the game compared to those who did not take the steps outlined above. I have moved a little closer to my goal of preventing type 2 diabetes. Now what? Okay, I have to remind you again, I'm a retired physician and don't consider anything I say to be medical advice. In fact, just use your common sense. This podcast is a poor man's version of the book in audio tape. Since I make part of my living selling books in audio tapes, I encourage you to buy them. If you buy the audio tape, you don't get the commercials.